Have you ever wondered why anyone drinks Malort? Or if there are actually lobsters in the Chicago River? Then listen to the Curious City podcast, where we answer all your questions about Chicago and the region. WBEZ's Curious City is part of the NPR network and available wherever you find your podcasts. Good afternoon. I'm Justin Bull in for Aaron Allen, and this is The Rundown. Autumn used to be the big season for the arts. Then the COVID-19 pandemic hit. Expo Chicago bumped its programming back to the spring, and many galleries in Chicago followed suit. The result? A suddenly robust spring art season. That's why here at The Rundown, we've been saying goodbye to winter in style by diving into WBEZ's Spring Culture Guide. You can find it on our website, and it's filled with recommendations of places to go and things to see. Last week, we talked about where to see dance in Chicago, but today we're going to point you in a different direction, toward upcoming art festivals, accessible ways to see the opera, and finally, some great new theater productions you're not going to want to miss. Our host, Aaron Allen, sat down with Julia Binswanger, a producer and curator here at WBEZ, as well as Sarah Stark, who should be a familiar name. She's a producer here on The Rundown. Together, they gave us all of their top recommendations. Sarah, Julia, welcome to The Rundown. Thanks. Happy to be here. Wouldn't want to be anywhere else. (laughs) When it comes to seeing some underrepresented voices and stories on stage right now, how is that happening in the visual art we're seeing around the city? Yeah, I think there's a lot of cool artists putting um, different ideas on display. Um, One of them is the Metropole Drama, which is an interesting kind of meta exhibition that is taking traditionally defined works like from all over the world. So maybe something from an Aztec ceramicist Um, and then also kind of commonly found objects like documents or currencies and kind of putting them together to change the way we think about art Mm. um, and what art really is. There's other cool stuff. Um, I don't know if you guys have been taking the CTA or especially waiting for buses, but um, Ethiopian photographer Ida Muluna has her work all over the city on bus shelters. Um, She's had her work at the Museum of Modern Art and the Smithsonian's National Museum of African Art. So it's kind of a privilege that we get to see her, you know, while we're waiting for the bus. (laughs) Yeah, that's really dope. Yeah, there's also Gio Swaby, whose show Fresh Up um, is at the Art Institute of Chicago. um, And she specializes in portraiture, but is also textile work, so embroidered work. And the work's really beautiful to look at, but also she has a way of as with any great portraiture, just really capturing her subjects and through them channeling blackness and womanhood um, through textured hair, clothing, and jewelry. Mm. Um, And it's a really powerful, beautiful show. um, So definitely one to see. So are there any new directions that we're seeing folks going in within the performing arts in Chicago right now? Julia, anything you wrote about? Um, Yeah, I mean... I will say that I was heartened by the amount of representation going on this season. Um, There's a really cool musical coming up called The Dream King at Teatro Vista. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's a Latinx theater company. And 
The Dream King is a silent musical, which when I first heard that, I was confused. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. How do you do that? Um, but that's kind of the point. Um, it The show is taking inspiration from like Chaplin era silent musicals. Um, so the background music is kind of acting as like a film score. There's also Lucy and Charlie's Honeymoon, which is at the Looking Glass Theater. And it's a musical that's centering around folk and country music. Um, but it features uh, two Asian-American newlyweds on the run. So kind of like hmm. a Bonnie and Clyde idea, but from a different perspective than we're used to seeing from this kind of Americana background and setting. How about you, Sarah? Any uh, any new directions you're looking at? Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with, with what a lot of Julia is saying. I, you know, let's just say it. American theater is predominantly white. It has been, you know, for as long as we've had a, a cohesive American theater scene. And uh, in June of 2020, actually, just to do a little history lesson time, um, a really large sort of collective of artists of color across the industry signed a letter that they titled We See You, White American Theater, that sort of laid out this these systemic issues in theater. Uh, a huge part of that is that, you know, for theater artists, it can be really challenging to make a sustainable career in the performing arts unless you come from generational wealth, which is going to privilege white theater artists mm. because of all of the other systemic issues we have stacking up against marginalized people in this country. Um so, so yeah, I think that sort of outlined some of those issues, some demands. I think some of that is in progress at a lot of theaters. Mm. But I think we're definitely seeing more representation on stage, which is wonderful. The thing that I, as a former, you know, backstage person, am interested to see is whether we'll see representation behind the scenes stack up to what we're seeing on stage. So it can be really challenging for young, queer black artists to get to put on the work they want to be doing, but with a support team of like all white designers mm. and white directors and white staff at theaters. Like they're not, we're not actually creating a space for those mm -hmm. artists to do the art they want to be doing in a way that feels safe and authentic. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think representation on and off stage is important. Talk about some of the art festivals we can get excited about this spring. Yeah, definitely. So the Gene Siskel Film Center um, is putting on the School of the Art Institute's annual student showcases, um, and that's for its undergrads and its grad student. There's the animation and sound festival, and that includes a lineup mm. of really diverse, interesting stories um, from travel to coming of age to climate change to, you know, heartbreak and love. So it's a really cool way to just see a lot of different types of animation and yeah. art in one setting. Um, and through that kind of testing um, the media. Um, I love animation. Um, <laughs> I'm so I'm so excited to, uh, to check that out. Was there anything for your art guide specifically that didn't make it into the guide, but that you want to talk about? Yeah. So one artist that I wish I had put into my guide is Esma Muhammad. Um, and her show at Kavi Gupta, um, Let Them Consume Me in the Light, has a really cool breadth of sculptures and installations, mm -hmm. um, you know, including 
like a visage of three young girls tenderly carved from shea butter or um, a prairie of black steel dandelions. And what she's trying to do with this show is take um, black culture and products that have been maybe appropriated by the majority culture and reclaim them. Or Mm. at least if that's happening, let's do it in the light or let's do it in a place that everyone can see. Um, yeah, thank you for, for bringing that forth. Um, so let's get into opera. Sarah, we're going to we're gonna bring you in now. <laughs> I'm so ready to talk about yes. opera. <laughs> um, I'm glad because it's, it's not a realm that I find myself in very much. Um, so there's a trend around the country and around the world. A lot of companies are trying to attract the next generation of opera goers by producing new work rather than the more traditional repertoire. Um, what does that look like in Chicago? Yeah, yeah. No, I think that's a really important trend that you point to because opera companies are largely supported by older donors and tend to have audiences of mostly white people and are more expensive. Operas are more expensive to go see than mm. most theater or concerts or even symphonies. Um, so, yeah, I think so. I think this trend of, A, making opera more affordable and accessible, but then doing new opera initiatives uh, is really huge in terms of attracting new and more diverse audiences to opera because it's an art form that has survived many centuries and that I think hopes to continue to survive. <laughs> um, in Chicago, what that looks like is that the Lyric Opera of Chicago, of course, is one of the premier operas in the country, and they're doing a family-friendly 45-minute opera at the Logan Center for the Arts um, at the University of Chicago in Hyde Park called The Scorpion's Sting, which is sort of archaeology meets Egyptian myth, um, <laughs> and uh, in which archaeology students uncover the lost temple of Isis. So that's the kind of thing that, um, oh. you know, they're trying to bring families out, and they're, you know, it's not at their giant theater in the loop. Yeah, uh, and it's not too long. I mean, 45 yes. minutes, that's pretty good. Look, I worked in opera for a couple of years as a stage manager, and I live for an opera that is 90 minutes or less. <laughs> and in opera, I mean, two hours is short for an opera, uh. even if it's long for theater. Um, so I think, so the Lyric is doing a lot, but then we also have Chicago Opera Theater in Chicago, which is a smaller company than the Lyric, but that sort of affords them these opportunities to do a lot more experimental work. So they have what they call the Vanguard Initiative, which is their new opera initiative, and they partner with other other companies mm-hmm. and um, other organizations for some of that. And so they have sort of a, a double header, I believe, of two different Holocaust stories in collaboration with the with Music of Remembrance, which I believe is Seattle-based, um, in late May. And so there are just sort of two performances, uh, just May 27th and 28th, of these two, two short new operas. Um, and then as part of the Vanguard Initiative there on May 11th, uh, you can see the cook-off, which I actually think is is such a cool mm. premise. It's a short opera about a TV cooking competition, which like <laughs> to me, like I'm a great British bake-off watcher. I was going to say, all right, British bake-off I know, people. right? Like I love yes. and I love a new opera too. Um, so that, yeah. Yeah, okay. I think we have a lot of exciting new opera going on in Chicago right now. And then, Julia, you had something that's that's in your guide, um, too, that you could speak to, right? Um, yes. So 
Theo Ubique um, is a really exciting, not necessarily opera space, but cabaret space in the city that mm. offers food and drink. Um, they're really known for their intimate setting. So you can expect to be up close with performers. And right now they're putting on the Three Penny Opera. It's not technically an opera, even though it has opera in the name. Um, but it's going on now through the 30th. Um, and the show's by Bertolt Brecht, um, who's an 18th century German playwright. Um, so maybe that might not sound like the most trendy, accessible <laughs> show, but it tackles themes of censorship and capitalism and corruption and how those things find their way into city government. So, you know, something that Chicagoans Mm. May be we don't able, know none about that. Be able to relate with, <laughs> um, and that theater is celebrating its 25th year anniversary. I actually got to talk with their director Fred Anzavino, and he assured me that the singing is powerhouse, top notch, and can't miss. <laughs> and what can't miss? Oh, can't miss. Okay, yeah. <laughs> is that a direct quote? Almost. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right, let's go right on into theater. So we're in a city known for its regional theater scene. Plus, we get a lot of pre-Broadway tryouts here. Julia, for the novices or the people who are feeling a little bit removed from the theater scene, remind us, what are some of the heaviest hitters in Chicago? Yeah, definitely. So there's the Steppenwolf, of course, um, which is in Lincoln Park. It's been around since the 70s, um, and it's a theater that rivals some of Broadway's best. Um, right now they're putting on a play called Describe the Night. Um, and basically it takes on Soviet history um, and ricochets through 90 years of KGB agents, babushkas, soldiers, um, and plays with what is fact and what is fiction. Mm. Then there's also the Goodman Theater, which is in the loop, Um And the Goodman's artistic director, Robert Falls, is actually retiring this season. Um, He's been around for 40 years and has transformed Chicago's theater community. Um, And he's taking on one of Chekhov's four major plays. He's already done the three other ones. It's called The Cherry Orchard. Um, So if you want to see the work of a Chicago legend before he leaves his home and his staple, this is definitely one to check out. Then there's also the Chicago Shakespeare Theater, which is right here at Navy Pier. Um, And they're putting on a really niche show um, that not many know called Beauty and the Beast. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know if you guys have heard of Disney. Oh my gosh. (laughs) How exciting. I love new work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that will be from July 13th to August 20th. Um, So I I don't think I need to explain that one. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think we got it. Chicago theater has weathered the storm of lockdown and social distancing these past three years, but it was hard. Some theaters didn't make it. Some companies didn't quite make it. Um, How did theaters and companies cope for the ones who did make it? Yeah. So, I mean, I think it was definitely a tough few years for the theater community. And Honestly, federal and city grants helped theaters a lot make it through this time. Um, Attendance is still running 15 to 20 percent below pre-pandemic levels. Wow. Yeah. And, um, you know, according to 
Ukraine Chicago business, the Goodman reached about eight million in ticket sales last year, but that's still short of the eleven million they had mm. in twenty nineteen before mm. the pandemic. So that's that's a big hit right there. Um, and I mean, there's things that the theater community has done to be creative over the past few years, like outdoor parking lot performances and, mm. you know, masks are still required in a lot of theaters around the city. Um, but honestly, the grant money and the aid is running out at this point. Um, so it's up to us as Chicagoans to get up Um you know, I, I know that we've I personally have changed my behavior over the past couple of years, and I think I'm more of a homebody. It's yeah. really easy to just turn on that Netflix account. Um, you know, <laughs> Succession is stuff. really good. Know, Love is Blind is really good. <laughs> <laughs> but there's just something about going to a show um, and yes. connecting with people in person. Um, you're never going to feel bad or like you've wasted time when you go out and connect with these performers and have them connect with you. Um, So, you know, it's up to us. We need to go out and support our local theaters. Sarah Stark is a producer for The Rundown and our resident theater expert. Thank you, Sarah. Yeah, happy to be here. Thanks for having me. And Julia Benswanger is a producer and curator here at WBEZ. Julia, thank you. It was a pleasure. Julia wrote Guides to the Theater, Opera, and Art Scenes in Chicago, which is a part of our WBEZ Spring and Culture Guide. You can find all of that at WBEZ.org. And you can also catch Julia's feature on one of the artists we mentioned, photographer Ida Maluna, on our website as well. Thank you to Justin Bull and Sarah Stark again for producing The Rundown and to Ariel Van Clee for editing the show. Dave Misco was the engineer for today's episode and our theme music is by Louis Weeks. I'm Erin Allen. Thank you for listening. <laughs>